Our gospel reading this morning is Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. In this passage, we overhear just a little bit of dinner party conversation between Jesus and his host, who on this occasion was a leader among the Pharisees. Let's listen in. Jesus said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. When my mother was a girl, she learned etiquette from a little book called Tiffany's Table Manners for Teenagers. It was published in the 1960s, and it was full of pithy advice for proper young ladies and gentlemen to remember and put to use at dinner parties. My mother would quote from it often when my brothers and I were young, and in the fullness of time when we were teenagers, she gave us our own copy. <laughs> For me, it was a fascinating read because I like rules. I learned all about the different courses of the meal and which forks to use. I learned never to slurp my soup and never to hold my knife and fork like this when I was talking <laughs> because that might appear unattractive and belligerent. <laughs> but you know, I found out that some things were surprisingly permissible, like it's okay to eat asparagus with your fingers unless the stalks are too long, then you have to cut it. You don't even have to wait for your hostess to start eating, which was something I never knew. But don't leap at your food like an Irish wolfhound. <laughs> it was sound advice. And even now, when formal dinner parties seem to be largely a thing of the past, from time to time, I'll still recall those rules and sit up a little straighter or maybe take my elbows off the table. When I imagine the host of this story in Luke's gospel, the leader of the Pharisees who invited Jesus over to his house, I imagine a fellow student of Tiffany's table manners. Here was someone who valued respectability Someone who knew not only the rules of true religion, but the rules of polite society as well. Someone who just wanted to get it right. I recognize him. In fact, I can see him now, carefully curating his guest list and making his seating arrangement, straightening the silverware as Jesus comes knocking at the door. Perhaps the leader of the Pharisees should have known that Jesus would not play by the rules. By this time, Jesus' unconventional views were no secret. Still, still it must have been a shock, as it always is for the perfectionist. 
when he felt the finger pointed in his direction. And that's what Jesus did. Sitting down at the table, he launched into a series of teachings that rejected the most basic social norms of the banquet itself. Next time you're having a dinner party, Jesus said, don't invite your friends or family, much less someone you're trying to impress. Invite people who are poor and disabled, people you may hardly know. It might not help you to climb the social ladder, but it will get you ahead with God right there. That's Jesus' advice on invitations delivered to the very one who had invited him. And it's rude to criticize your host, but Jesus never could pass up a teachable moment. And being at table just always seemed to inspire him. Looking around, Jesus saw the perfect illustration of the kingdom of heaven, and he just had to point it out. Jesus wanted people to see God as a gracious host, beckoning them, inviting and welcoming them in, gathering and feeding them from abundance. Jesus wanted people to see that they could live graciously too, in harmony with God and one another. But he also knew that good and respectable people would struggle with that vision. He knew that we would need to learn a new set of table manners. So for those of us who love rules, Jesus offers just one, just this, that in the kingdom, everybody belongs. Over the past few weeks in worship, belonging has been something of a theme for us. If you were here last Sunday, then you received an orange flyer with that message right on the front in big letters, belong. And then you read about all the different ways that our church has prepared um, for us to connect and have fellowship this fall. If you were here last Sunday, you saw on this table not the communion elements, but other objects that represent the ministries of the church and the many spiritual gifts of its members. There were flowers from the flower ministry, an apron from the gathering, the stole of a choir member. There was a prayer shawl, a Bible study, a box of pancake mix from the all church breakfast. All of these puzzle pieces of our life together, all different, but look, they fit. We all belong. Of course, that motley group of things on the table was only a symbolic start. To really represent our congregation, you would have to do much more than that. You would have to grow the table exponentially if you really wanted to represent, to make room for all the complex and beautifully broken people who belong here. You would need a bigger table to fit us. And if it isn't just us, if everybody belongs, well, new construction is in order. But don't worry, I'm not here to announce the kickoff of a capital campaign. The renovation that Jesus has ordered is for the kingdom. And so it is a renovation of the heart. Consider again Jesus' words. 
When we are thinking about whom to invite, whom to include, Jesus asks us to look beyond our inner circle and out toward the margins. He asks us to include not only the friends who delight us, not only the family to whom we are responsible, and not only the people we admire. Jesus asks us to see and then to welcome people who seem to have nothing to offer, whose need may even be the first thing we notice about them. Because if everybody belongs, those people are included. And so we are called to look out, to make room, and to keep inviting them over time after time and day after day. So we may be invited guests, but we never settle into our seats. We may enjoy the company, but our conversation will keep drifting back to who's not here. We may even see from time to time that the table seems full, but we know in our hearts that it's not yet complete. You get the picture. It's easy to say that everybody belongs, but when we take our places, we discover that welcome is a challenge and that it's full of paradox. Maybe welcome is impractical. If you're anything like me, you can think of a lot of good reasons to shy away from welcoming others. Welcome is uncomfortable. Suppose you're deep in conversation with a friend when a stranger sits down next to you. And while you stop and say hello, it's awkward now. That deep conversation bobs back up to the surface. What's your name? What do you do? Where are you from? Especially for the introverts among us, these can be exhausting exchanges. Welcome is uncomfortable. And welcome is risky in more ways than one. If we intentionally include others whose experiences are different and they accept our invitation, we are likely to have to change our minds about some things or change our way of doing things. Welcome is risky like that. There's also the risk that our invitation will be rejected. And this is a particular point of anxiety, I think, in many churches, as membership across different Christian denominations and traditions continues to decrease in the United States. When we roll out the welcome mat, when we throw ourselves into a new Bible study or service project, we may, just as a, we may be just as afraid of the people who will not show up as we are afraid of the ones who will. And so it is tempting then to hold fast to what we know and to try to convince ourselves that everybody belongs is just a pretty platitude, not something we can really live out. I don't know about you, but I've seen this sort of cynicism taking hold in lots of different places in our world. In many parts of life, it seems to me that we are satisfied to settle for a half-hearted welcome. Take the gym where I work out when I work out. On paper, this gym has a whole philosophy of welcome and acceptance. They want clients to feel comfortable and safe to work toward their particular fitness goals, whether that's losing weight or gaining strength. 
without other people looking at them and judging them. And so they put signs up. Anyone can be here, they say. This is a judgment-free zone. We want everyone to feel accepted and respected. You belong. Now, I will admit to you that this approach was a selling point for me. I am not an athlete, and so I have struggled sometimes in my life to feel that I belong in the gym, as I imagine some of you may have. But as I swish back and forth on the elliptical machine, I have looked around at the strangers around me, and I have hoped, I have hoped to God that this gym is not all they know of welcome and belonging. Simply to be let in, to be left alone, and to get free pizza on the first Monday of the month. <laughs> we could all get used to that. But friends, I cannot help myself. I just have to take Jesus seriously. And he has called us to live for a more welcoming world than that. And I still suspect that it is possible, as all things are with God, if good people will do just one thing, which is to remember. To remember what it feels like to be an outsider to grace. That's the first step, to remember that what brings us together is not who we are or what we have or what we have achieved. It's not even what we believe. What brings us together in the first place is our need. I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he says to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. According to Jesus, what these folks have in common is that they will not be able to return the favor. They are needy. And when it comes to God's grace, so are we. We only have to remember that, to remember that we are all really in the same camp. And then it becomes possible, it becomes easy, effortless even, to throw wide the doors of our hearts and to embrace one another out on the open field of God's grace. In that place, even the most basic distinctions, rich and poor, friend and stranger, them and us, those distinctions begin to fade away. We begin to understand what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. We are one. We are one. Brought together by need, we are bound together by God's grace. Everybody belongs. What are you going to do about that? Will you give in and invite the whole third grade class? Will you learn to speak her language? Will you offer him a ride even when it means crossing town? Will you waive the fee? Will you say, Hello. Where might the Holy Spirit be calling you to reach out and to extend welcome 
so that God's dream of belonging might really come true. As you come to the Lord's table this morning, I encourage you, I encourage you to come with that dream of belonging in mind. Come out of your own need and longing. Come because you have tasted grace and you want more, but then look around. Look around you and really see who is here. See these people with whom you are one in Christ. Hear their voices ringing out in song and add your own. It doesn't matter if you can't carry a tune. Sometimes we all need to be carried. Sometimes we all need to be led. And that's why we are here, where God's grace meets us. This is the place. This is the glorious feast of the people of God. And scripture tells us they will come from east and west and north and south just to sit at table together in the kingdom of God, in the presence of our Lord Jesus. This table is his. And it's the place where we come to remember that no matter our circumstances and no matter our sin, we belong to him. And indeed, we are one with him and one with one another. So come to the table. Let us keep the feast.